So last year, my eight-year-old Reuben um, had been slightly mischievous, and I was trying to work out what would be an adequate consequence, you know, to disincentivize similar actions in the future. Um, and at some point, the threat of losing pocket money was voiced, and literally he said these words to me, you need to know I don't respond to economic sanctions. <laughs> Eight years old. Honestly. And actually, when those sanctions did hit, he folded like a deck of cards. But those words obviously came from language that he'd picked up from the news about Russia and Ukraine. Later that day, as I tucked him into bed um, and, and prayed, he asked me question after question about the situation there, just tearfully voicing his concerns and fears, the troubling, worrying thoughts that were running around his mind as he lay there in the dark each night going to sleep. There's no shortage of things to run around our minds, to run around our heads as they hit the pillow. Just in the last few weeks on the news, we've seen apocalyptic-looking images of fire-scorched towns in Europe, violent protests in France, heartbreaking images of starvation and malnutrition in war-torn Yemen, the ongoing horrors in Ukraine, and closer to home, the ever-deepening cost-of-living crisis. We have access to more news, more quickly, more easily than ever before. It's literally in our pockets. And coupled with things like increasing rates of loneliness, extraordinarily high use of social media, and the way algorithms curate what we see, it's unsurprising that we're also seeing a rise in levels of anxiety. The most up-to-date UK stats I could find were from this March. The Mental Health Foundation did a survey, and they found that nearly three-quarters of the population, 73%, had felt anxious in the previous two weeks, with one in five anxious most or all the time. For certain groups, it was particularly high. Nearly all 18 to 24-year-olds, 86% were impacted. 89% of single parents, 89% of LGBTQ plus people, 84% of people in minority ethnic communities. It's crazy. Interestingly, nearly half, 45%, were keeping their anxiety hidden, keeping it secret. No surprise then that uh, anxiety was the theme for this year's Mental Health Awareness Week. And so in a room like this, many of us will be wrestling with these sorts of things to one degree or another. Many of us also keeping it hidden. And whilst not all will struggle with anxiety in a clinical sense, none of us are true strangers to worry. Today, we're continuing our series in the Psalms called A Lamp to My Feet. And we're looking at how they give us language and light to navigate the varying terrain of our lives. And today, we're looking at Psalm 46 with the title, Words for the Worried. Some of us particularly and acutely, but all of us at some point will find ourselves in need of such words. So I'm just going to invite Hazel who's going to come and read our passage for today. Each week, someone's going to read the psalm um, with some music underneath. Just to remind us that these perhaps 3,000-year-old passages that we're looking at are actually poems, songs, and prayers of the people of Israel. So you may want to just close your eyes, relax, breathe deeply, and just allow the psalm to wash over you. Psalm 46. 
God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is with her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Beautiful words. Beautiful words. One of my favourite literary characters is um, C.S. Lewis's Puddle Glum. Some of you will know him uh, from the book The Silver Chair. He's, I think there's, there he is, that's him. Uh, he's this pessimistic, worst-case scenario, worry-about-everything kind of chap. And so when confronted with a cliff that they need to scale, he says this, well, the bright side of it is that if we break our necks getting down the cliff, then we're safe from being drowned in the river. Or when commenting on the, on the weather, he says this, well, very likely, with what with enemies and mountains and rivers to cross and losing our way and next to nothing to eat and sore feet, we'll hardly notice the weather. <laughs> He's this great character. If there isn't anything to worry about, he'll find something. But in the backstory to this psalm, we find quite the opposite. The people of Israel didn't need to look very far to find something to worry about. Commentaries agree that it was a military threat that stood behind it. The language of verses 2 and 3 of the mountains being thrown into the sea and waters roaring and foaming function as metaphors for danger and the chaos of the war coming against them. Anticipated in the military language, if you look in verse 6, nations rising and falling. There is some uncertainty, but 2 Kings chapter 18 is a likely background. And in verse 13 of that, we read this. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. See, Assyria were the superpower in that region with a large and powerful army and empire. Nation after nation had fallen to them. Israel, on the other hand, were tiny, totally outnumbered, outgunned. Jerusalem is besieged and Sennacherib 
begins a sort of propaganda onslaught, shouting to the people, it says in verse 32, do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? And you can imagine the fear, the panic. You know, this is like Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings when Legolas shouts, screams to Aragorn, we cannot win this fight. Or um, in Star Wars when the Jedi are surrounded in the Clone Wars or the House of Atreides surrounded by the Harkonnen in in June, um, if any of you have read that. It's a city surrounded, a people fearful. When the odds are stacked against them, when the air is thick with worry and their bodies riddled with anxiety, enter Psalm 46. Now, if you read on in the book of Kings, God does indeed rescue them, scattering the Assyrian army. But what I want us to look at today is what the psalmist is doing. How is the psalmist encouraging an anxious people in the face of such fear? And the answer we find is in verse one, word one, God. Should we stand? I'm just kidding. (laughs) That was good. And the 9.30, nearly everyone stood. God. It's to God that the psalmist turns, but not to sort of an abstract, vacuous idea of God, the, the philosopher's God, if you like, but instead he reminds the people of their God, weaving an image or tapestry of multiple threads. And one of those threads, perhaps the most dominant in the psalm is this, that God is with them. God with. It's right there at the beginning, at verse one. He is the ever-present or readily available help. It's also there in the repeated section in verses seven and 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. But it's in the beautiful words of verses four and five, the psalmist dwells on it. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. The city of God here refers to Jerusalem, where where the temple was and where God dwelt. And the picture here is of a, a, a water supply to a besieged city. A city was much harder to overcome if it had a river running through it. Now, Jerusalem had no such water supply, so this isn't speaking literally of a river, but instead figuratively. It's poetry, don't forget. The psalmist is using the image of a river, a water supply, to refer to the presence of God, God with them, and his presence, it's like a water supply to a needy city. Now, the withness of God, the presence of God is quite a theme in the Bible, and it's talked about in different ways. There is the omnipresence of God, that he is everywhere all the time, the sort of Psalm 139, where can I go to escape your presence sort of thing. The omnipresence of God. And then there's the manifest presence of God, where there are these weighty moments of seeing or sensing the presence of God. Um, In the the story of Israel, it's it's, uh, a cloud by day or a a fire by night kind of thing. But the beautiful and long-awaited, anticipated development in the New Testament is the indwelling 
presence of God, that he lives in us by his spirit permanently. God with was an encouragement for the psalmist, but with the coming of Jesus, it becomes even more so for us. The city of God becomes a people. The temple of God becomes our hearts. He is with us, in us, always, everywhere you go. And withness makes a difference. Withness makes a difference. A couple of years ago, I ran a marathon raising money for the, the QMC hospital. And at two, at two points during the run, I was joined by friends running a sec, sections of it with me. And um, any of you who might have done something like that would know the difference it makes. In fact, a month later, I ran another marathon, the same route, but just on my own this time. And it took me over 35 minutes longer. Now, there are loads of factors that could impact that. But doubtless, that was one of them. Lots of studies into the support, into um, the impact of supporters, of applause, of having others cheer you on, show that beyond doubt, it makes a difference. They show beyond doubt the actual difference withness makes. If you sense people with you, it changes the way you go through something. I remember um, when we were in hospital with our youngest, Nora, um, she was born at 25 weeks, and she was like 500 grams, so it's tiny. This was her nappy. Have you here? Can you see that? See that? Tiny. And it was up to, it was like up here over her chest when she was wearing it. She wasn't really supposed to survive. She had wires everywhere, giving us data on everything that she was doing and how she was doing. But I very clearly remember moments where her stats would be a little high, and we would gently pick her up out of the incubator and we'd hold her to our skin. And we would literally watch as the numbers on the machines came down and settled. Everything else was the same. She had all the same problems, all the same troubles, the same wires, the same risks, but withness changes things. It's like water to a besieged city. I read recently of a man who survived in Auschwitz. He managed to uh, maintain his faith throughout. He was a Jewish man. And um, he found ways to pray through the worst moments. And he comments about um, how regularly he is asked, you know, where was God in Auschwitz? And he says this, right there in the horror of it. A better question, he says, is where was man in Auschwitz? Where was humanity? Where was dignity? But God, right there in the horror. God was his river. You see, the river doesn't stop the city being besieged, but sustains it whilst besieged. The assumption here in this text is trouble, but help in trouble, not escape from trouble. God is near to the brokenhearted, says Psalm 34. Near to the brokenhearted, right in the middle of the very worst, he is there with us. God with. It's one of the threads in the psalmist's tapestry. But look too at the repeated lines in verse 7 and 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
The language God of Jacob is important. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the patriarchs of Israel. And the story is that God chose them and their descendants. And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 7 this, this is, um, to the people of Israel. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest. But it was because the Lord loved you. And so they had this sense from very early on of being chosen. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God who chose them by grace. It was part of their identity, a strong sense that God was for them. Not because they were good or numerous, but just because he was from the very beginning. Even from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they had this settled conviction that God was for them, God for we often read at home um, that little book, Guess How Much I Love You. Some of you will know it, um, to our kids. Uh, it's the one with the rabbits, if you know. Uh, this is a little baby rabbit, and he stretches his arms up really high, and he says, um, I love you this much, <clears throat> to his daddy. And then the daddy lifts his bigger, longer arms higher, and he says, yes, but I love you this much. And then the baby rabbit um, jumps as high as he can, saying, I love you this much. But the daddy jumps even higher, saying, I love you this much. And it goes on like this until the baby's dropping off to sleep and he just finishes by saying this, I love you to the moon. You know, who can get further than that? And then as he drops off, the, dad, the daddy replies, I love you to the moon and back. See, Israel knew the love of God. They knew that he was for them. And the psalmist is drawing on this to encourage them. But it's not the high point in the symphony in this story. That comes maybe 800 years later. Guess how much I love you. In Jesus, we see God with his arms outstretched on the cross. This much. How much? This much. Cross much. Israel knew the love of God because he chose them. We know the love of God because he died for us. And it can be so easy to doubt when we face hard things. I literally, this week, as I was thinking about these things, something went wrong, I was like, oh, does he love me? You know, that sort of feeling. It can be so hard. Does he love me? But the psalmist is reminding them, yes, he has always loved you. And the cross is reminding us, yes, this much, this much. Trouble in our lives is never proof that he doesn't love us. The cross is just a line in the sand. He loves you. He is for you always, period, as the Americans say. Unalterably, undeniably for you. God with is one thread. God for is another. But look also at verse 5. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. And that line, break of day, is like a hyperlink. It's like if I say, to be or not to be, and we're in the, you know, you're all in the world of Shakespeare, or you complete me, right? And we're on that doorstep. Or you shall not pass. Anyone? 
Lord of the Rings, Gandalf, the ring, the Balrog, all of that, right? It just all comes in. At break of days, the exact turn of phrase used in the story of the Exodus, when Israel are saved from slavery in Egypt. And it's the moment in the story when Israel goes through the sea on dry land. God has just parted the sea. And whenever I hear this story, it reminds me of this um, postcard my dad had on his um, study door that I used to love. But so the, the, the people, it's this moment in the story. They go through on dry land and they reach the other side. And then as the Egyptian army violently pursue them, the sea collapses over them at break of day. And then in verse 7 and 11, we have another hyperlink. The phrase is Lord Almighty or Lord of hosts, it might be in your Bible. And it translates the title for God, Yahweh Sebaoth. Yahweh Sebaoth. And the first time we hear that in the Bible is in the story, stories surrounding David. And we find it on his lips when he's facing Goliath. You know the story, the Israelite army go into hiding, intimidated by this giant Goliath and little David, who was too small to even wear the right armour and has no weapon other than a slingshot, faces down overwhelming odds with these words, I come against you in the name of Yahweh Sebaoth. And so the psalmist draws these two iconic images to mind, these iconic stories to mind about the rescue of God against overwhelming odds. God with, God for, but also God can. God can. Don't forget what he's done in the past. We've been in situations like this before, he's saying. God can. And for us, Thousands of years later, we have these stories and many more. And we have the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Standing behind those words, God can. The Apostle Paul prays in Ephesians that now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, to the God who is able, God with, God for, God can. Words for the worried. God with, God for, God can. But God will? Is that here? Is that what this all means for me, for you? Don't worry because God will fix it. In hospital with Nora, um, people would kindly, lovingly say things like, God's got this. And we appreciated it. I mean, we felt loved and supported and upheld. But what's that mean, God's got this? How do we hold that in some of the worst moments? If that means that God remains God throughout all of this, he's still on the throne, he still has the world in his hands, then yes, of course, definitely. If that means that one day God will put all wrongs to right, then yes, of course, definitely, that's exactly where this psalm goes. Those verses towards the end, he makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the shields. It's all language that's looking ahead. One day God will still the violence of the nations. He will disarm the aggressor at one day. Yes, God, in fact, does have it if that's what we mean. 
But I don't think that is what we mean most of the time. I think we often mean God is going to sort this issue out in the way I want it. And sometimes we see that. That is what happened in the backstory to this psalm. Jerusalem survived. And actually, that is what happened with Nora. She's three and she's doing well. But sometimes we don't see that. Because Jerusalem, not long after this, is invaded. And they're all carried off to Babylon. And we watched friends of ours in the neonatal unit racked with grief as they wept over their lost babies. God with is a promise. God for is a promise. God can is true. God will is way more nuanced. And the danger is that we start to confuse a platitude with a promise God's got this, and if you take that as a promise and things don't work out the way you want, you'll end up disillusioned with God, angry and hurt that he failed you, holding him to ransom over promises he never made. It's so easy and tempting to make platitudes into promises, particularly in moments of pain, but it's just not solid ground. God will. This whole psalm, this whole psalm is based on the assumption of trouble. Why do you build a fortress or a refuge? Because you expect trouble. You anticipate an attack. To say God is our fortress is to anticipate trouble. It's not escape from, but with us in. This isn't escape from, it's with us in. A fortress in the mess in the fight, in the ruin, in the rubble, in the hurt, a river, in the siege. And this was our battle in hospital. We prayed and we hoped that Nora would be okay. But in the end, we had to learn what it was to entrust ourselves to God without the guarantee of God will. There is no promise that life will be free of friction for those who trust Jesus. But, and this is important, but, and this is why these are words for the worried, but you can put all your weight on this. He will be with you in it. Right in the middle and the worst of it, a river in your besieged city, and you can put all your weight on this. He is for you. Guess how much I love you. The cross is a line in the sand. And you can put all your weight on this. He is able. So pray. You should pray to the God who can. Pray your wants, pray your needs, your pain, your worries, your anxieties, your fears, everything that is on your heart. Bring it all to the God who hears and is able. God with, God for, God can. Threads in the psalmist tapestry, words for the worried. About three weeks before the uh, first lockdown, 
um, do you remember back a few years ago? We were sent home with Nora from the hospital with lots of oxygen tanks everywhere. And, and given the growing concern about COVID, it was just safer to do that. And so we spent the next year or so um, shielding and being ever so careful. She, had, she has chronic lung disease, so we had to just be really wary. And after all of that, it might have been maybe even close to two years, I was um, back here involved and I was on this stage and um, leading worship and I found it really hard. And I would get headaches and I used to just find just being in this room just so challenging and difficult. It had been six of us in isolation for so long and this was just overwhelming. And the guy, the team here was so kind and um, and they said, you know, you should, you should talk to the doctor about it. And so I went to the doctor, and I felt fine actually going in. I wasn't upset or anything. I was just fine. And so I went in, and I told the doctor, I said, explain, this is what's happened. This is very on. This is what church is like. And you're probably thinking, small church, this is different. There's screens and, you know. Um, anyway, so I just explained the whole journey and what was in. And, and she just looked at me, and she said, that is awful. And she said, of course you're finding it hard. And in that moment, I just burst into tears. It was just erupted out of me. It took me by surprise. I didn't even know it was in there. But it unlocked something, and we began a season of just slowing down, staggering my return to work, getting some counselling. You know, don't be in the 50% who hide it. Professional help is God's grace to us. You know that story of the man drowning who prays for help and then a, um, like a boat comes by and he says, no, I'm waiting for God. And then a helicopter comes, he says, no, I'm waiting for God. And I can't remember what the third one is. But uh, anyway, he dies and he gets to heaven and he says, God, why didn't you rescue me? And God says, you know, I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter. And we have to see God's grace in the help that's available. Make use of it. Make use of it. But as well as that, alongside that, underneath that, Fight to think in terms of faith. It's not easy. Our society is mainly secular. Most of the self-help books are exactly that, self-help. They speak within that framework. Look within and you'll find the strength, the resources. That's where the answers are. But the psalmist goes in a different direction. Verse one, word one, God And then he threads a picture of what he's like. So make the most of the best help you can find and and lean in to the God who is with you, who is for you, and who can. Fill your mind and your heart regularly with this. Be in this daily, regularly. Fill your heart, fill your mind with it. Allow this to become a sing. The songs that we see, put them on in your car. Allow the stories in here to fuel your imagination, to catch your heart, to steady your feet, to calm your fears. And may we find in the God to whom these stories point a very real river running right through the center of our besieged cities. Let's stand together. Hazel is just going to come and read a bit of that psalm again, but let's, this is us moving into just a, 
a ministry moment. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here, the God who is with, that you're with us, in us, on us. And we just welcome you to increase your presence, increase what you're doing. We want to be attentive to you here in the room. And would you use these words to soothe, to strengthen, to encourage and help. In Jesus' name. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, We will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is with her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.